All right, so we are back with uh, How Did I Get Here podcast. Today, I have um, someone who's been becoming a really good friend, um, and it's John. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, nice to be here. So, John is a member of our church. Uh, We met, what, three, four years ago you guys started coming to our church? I don't remember. Yeah, like maybe four, four and a half, something like that. Yeah, yeah, so four-ish years ago, um, and it's just one of those things where... I guess, you know, as you get older, you, you, you learn this, you meet people at different stages of your life and you don't expect to really make new friends. You know, um, it's, I, I always find it funny when you think about that, like you watch, you watch kids and kids are like excited to have new friends. You know, my son comes home and he's like, I met this kid at the mall today or whatever, you know, and your kids do the same thing. They're excited to meet other people, but adults were the exact opposite. We're like, look, I got two friends. I'm good. I don't really want to meet anybody else. Just, I don't want to talk to anybody. Or you just get weird when you're an adult. But you don't expect to, like, in your 30s to meet people that become staples, you know. So it is cool to have um, John be one of those people, um, him and his wife, Lori, and, and really just your, your family. You know, we're, you know we're, we're at different stages in reference to our parenting, but, but close enough to where... To where we good friends, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice to have people um, that that are a stage ahead of you, <laughs> uh, because it's helpful to you know have somebody who's walked through that help you walk through stuff. And I think that's probably how we've connected quite a bit. Uh, that in golf, yeah, so. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So I love it. Like I like that that all of the almost all the people who've been on, they bring it up. I don't feel like I have to bring it up. It's nice bring up the whole golf connection. So um, yeah, it's it's a real deal. We need to. We need to get out. Uh, if you know this by now, we live in Northeast Ohio, so it's not quite golf season yet, but it's on its way. So, all right, so let's dive into this. So, John, you, you've had a lot of exposure to, to ministry and to pastors. Your wife, you and your wife, Lori, you've, you've attended a number of churches. You've been a, how long have you been a believer? Actually, I don't, I don't know if I know that. Ooh, I got saved when I was, I want to say, five years old. Okay. And yeah. You know, everybody has the date. I don't have the date because I don't remember anything about being five years old. Yeah, I, I got saved when I was five as well. I don't remember the date, but I remember the day. I remember hearing my dad preach a message and understanding it, and I started crying. It was like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I, understand, <laughs> I understand what you're talking about. So I was five years old as well. All right, cool. So you've been a believer a long time. You've been in the church a long time, and you're also a listener to the podcast, so you know part of what... And the goal of this podcast is is just to kind of give people that inside look um, of just what it's like to to be in ministry or up close to it. So just just give us the the off the top of your head like inside look to the relationship you've had with pastors, you know, throughout your life. Yeah. Uh, so like you said, I've I grew up in the church. I've always been close to the church. I've always been in church. Um, and quite frankly, we've been at a lot of churches, so uh, I've I've had the experience to see a lot of people do different things and how how different churches approach ministry, um, old school, new school. You know, uh, I've I've seen quite a bit, so it's it's been interesting to kind of shape who I am as a believer um, by by looking at those different approaches and and implementing different bits and pieces into my life. What are some of the things that you've heard about pastors? Because you work in the corporate world, right? Mm-hmm. So you you don't 
most of the people you work with are not believers. Like you work in the secular world, just yep. you know, to to draw lines. So, what are some of the things that you hear about the church or pastors, or maybe even yourself when you tell people, "I'm a Christian," or "Here's why I go to church," or "My good, my good friends are pastors." Just what are some of the things you hear? Uh, you know, I, I think people just assume that we aren't fun or can't have fun. Um, and if you know my personality, I, I tend to be a fun loving guy. So there's not a whole lot of outside of when I'm, when I'm, you know, doing business deals, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of seriousness uh, in my life. Uh, and, and I think that's good. I think we're to be lighthearted and, and enjoy life. Um, I don't know why, what the point would be if we didn't, so. Yeah, it is interesting how we develop those those stigmas over time. I mean, I understand why they exist, but um, the one about not having fun, it's, that, that that's true. It's funny because when you spend time, I mean, you mentioned golf, so you've had this happen. There's been times where you show up at a golf course and you, you know, maybe you're by yourself or it's just two of you. And then, you know, depending on where you're playing, they might say, hey, do you mind joining, you know, do you mind having a third or joining another twosome and you know and so sometimes you run into guys and then obviously there's conversation and they find out in my case they're i'm a pastor in your case you know a a christ follower and they they watch you the whole time like what is he gonna do when he hit a bad shot or you know how like is he gonna get is he gonna get pumped up if he hits it's a good shot this is funny how just at like in general people don't think that christians have fun it's been interesting for me too because I I'm a very competitive person, and uh, I think at a, at a younger age, especially, <laughs> as most of us could probably say, I, I would allow that competitiveness to come out in ways that maybe I shouldn't have as a Christ follower. Um, but as I've grown and matured, I, you know, I haven't lost that competitiveness, but it's really allowed me to put it into context um, to. Uh, display it more appropriately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things that links John and I is we're both pastor's kids, right? So we both grew up with dads that were full-time pastors in full-time ministry. So what, what was that like? What, what, what is like a childhood memory that you have of being a pastor's kid? Yeah. So, um, when I was nine years old, eh, maybe eight years old, uh, there was an office next to the church uh, that my dad was a pastor of. And after school, my brother and I would get dropped off there, and we would always go. There was a playground and trees and stuff, so we'd always go and climb trees. And um, I remember one of our friends was with us, and we were climbing this tree, and we were way up, you know. At least as an eight-year-old, it felt like we were way up. So I'm sure it was probably like 15 feet off the ground. (laughs) But uh, we were way up, and I stepped on a branch, and it snapped. I fell all the way down through these branches. Somehow didn't break my spine or anything like that, but landed on the ground. Hit my arm on on a clay tile coming out of the ground. Broke my wrist. Got up, and and I told my brother, go get Dad. So my brother runs into the office and comes out with the secretary. And she's asking if I'm okay, and I said, go get Dad. So they go back into the office and come out with another pastor. And I'm like, what What don't you understand about go get Dad, go get Dad? So finally they come out with my dad. And, and uh, you know, it just, it just goes to show that 
all those other people were invested in us too. They all cared about what was going on. And I think my brother was just scared because I was hurt, but it, it was, it was pretty funny. And that's probably the best memory, even though it was a, you know, painful at the time, but, uh, the best memory that's kind of burned in my mind, uh, about being a pastor's kid. So when you mentioned that, like the fact that other people showed up, I remember something similar, like maybe just from a slightly different vein, but I, I have vivid, mem- not just one memory, like memories of, and it wasn't even so much like how yours was a story, like you failed and hurt yourself. Mine was like an internal feeling that I, I had often. And I often had this feeling that everybody else felt like they needed my dad more than I needed him. Did you ever feel that way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can relate being a pastor's kid. Your dad's gone all the time. I mean, my dad was gone all the time. He was doing hospital calls and home visits and, and leading different ministries at the church. You know, uh, being a pastor doesn't mean that you're just preaching on Sunday. Uh, there's a whole lot more to it, and I think that's something that maybe not everybody understands, uh, the time commitment that goes into it. And, you know, you start looking at pastor pay and then dividing out the amount of hours they put in, you you really, you're basically on a teacher's salary there. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, can, <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> real talk, you know, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I have that memory. What about, what about like a... What was it like being directly involved in ministry from a family perspective? So you talked about dad, right? So I remember the same thing. Like I remember, like you said, and, and honestly, my dad did a really good job of making sure that we had him, right? Like he, he when he got home, we still had the best versions of him. Uh, as an adult, I, I learned that he was just really good at hiding some of that stuff, which is great. Um, and as a pastor myself now, I, I have to find creative ways to still have the best versions of myself to be available for my family when I walk in the door. So I, I recognize that he did a really good job of that. But, you know, one of the unique things about being a pastor's kid, it isn't just that, oh, my dad's the pastor, but as you are a part of a family and the head of that family is your dad and your dad is in full-time ministry. Like he's a full-time spiritual shepherd for literally hundreds of people and your mom's involved in that. And so obviously as a family you're involved in that and you you just have one brother correct yep so what was it like what 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 can you remember it being like not just being a pastor's kid but like okay this is what it was like for me as john and me and my brother and my brother and i and my mom in reference to being in full-time ministry uh i think the easiest way to say it is that we were always at church i mean when when the church was open we were there when the church was unlocked and there were something going on we were there and i mean that was i remember my mom led this ministry called the festival of trees at christmas time where they there was like 75 trees in the church and and she coordinated all that where everything went and what the themes were and it's just like stuff that you'd never even think of um you know the different banners that hang in the sanctuary and the different uh, i don't know i mean there there were just so many different things that people don't even think about that Somebody has to do. Yeah. And when your uh, dad is a pastor, I mean, the whole family is in ministry, like you said. I mean, my brother and I, we were involved in singing and every other thing and and doing skits and plays and puppets and, you know, clown shit. I dressed up as a clown before, man. I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm not kidding you. I can juggle. 
That's hilarious. So, first of all, we are definitely dating our our childhood because you said <laughs> like you said like six eighties and nineties things just now. First of all, the name of that ministry that your mom liked, Festival of Trees, is definitely that's as that's as eighties of a name for a ministry in a church that I maybe have ever heard in my life. It was glorious. <laughs> the Festival of Trees, and then yeah, it's so so. I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned the puppets thing because I actually didn't even know that anybody else did that. So I did that as a kid too. I remember having to set up these like the puppet stage. So you had like these PVC pipe things. Did you guys use the PVC oh, yeah. pipe stuff? So you had this you had this PVC pipe thing, you set it up and you had like the the drapery up front, you velcro it all and then you had to learn to do the puppets. I remember when we got the puppets. I remember and this this is one of the the cool things about being a pastor's kid is I remember when we got those in, we opened them. Like I was one of the first people, one of the first kids, if you will, along with my sisters to see the puppets. Like I remember like messing with them. And then it's funny cause like, I know they, I knew they weren't real, but there was, I guess a childhood part of me that kind of thought they were. And when I saw them for the first time, I was like, wait a second, these aren't, someone's hand goes in this. <laughs> <laughs> but what is so funny, you mentioned that I remember, yeah, I remember. I've never dressed up as a clown, so I think you've got that one. Um, yeah, it's but that's, not something I'm proud of. Yeah, well, so. hey, everybody knows it now. You put it out there. Um, all right, so you, so you said, yeah, we as as families, we were all involved. It wasn't just, it wasn't just your dad. I really like that. You said like we're always at the church. I remember that as well. I mean, I remember falling asleep at the church, but being the first one there, the last one to leave. Um, I remember as I got older asking myself and even asking my dad like why is it that somebody else can't do this like why why are we always the ones that we're doing this so you know one of the interesting things too for me was uh, my elementary school was at the church mm. so there were when i mean pretty much every wednesday we had wednesday night church so i would go from school and i wouldn't go home i mean i would stay at the church until wednesday night church and you know in between my dad would run to get me Wendy's or Burger King or McDonald's or something terrible. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't go home because we were there and we were going to be there and it just didn't make sense. And, and all in between, my dad was doing stuff, getting ready for Wednesday night or mm-hmm. Sunday or whatever it was. So so where where did you spend the most time in reference to your childhood? Like where in the country did you? I know you lived in a few different places, but so where did you spend most of your time? So, uh, man, we were in... I've been in this area in Wayne County for basically my entire life. Now, mm-hmm. there was a period of time where uh, my dad was a pastor um, up near Fairlawn, and then also he was a pastor in Columbus. So so did you live in Fairlawn, or you just commuted? Just commuted. Okay. Yep. But you actually lived in Columbus? Nope. So you... I've never lived in Columbus. Okay. So when he was pastoring in Columbus, you, you he just commuted from here? No, he he lived there. Gotcha. He, okay. My parents lived there. Okay, but uh, that was in in the older life. Gotcha. So, All right. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so you you were, you you were basically done and gone. Um. So you are based. You're basically from Ohio. I know you weren't yep. born here, but this is where you spent most of your time. Yep. So, uh, as children, we know that our parents are our parents, right? Like we don't we don't know them as anything else. But as you as you grow and as you mature and as you get a, an understanding of what the world is like, you come to a point when you realize that, oh, yes, this is my mom. Yes, this is my dad. But my mom is a fill in the blank. You know, my dad is a fill in the blank, whatever. So at what 
point did you, do you have a memory of like a conscious thought of realizing like, oh, my dad's the pastor? What was that like? Ooh, oh man. Um, see, it was a little different from my dad because he was, uh, he wasn't like a senior pastor. He was the worship leader okay. um, for a number of years until he lost his hearing. And so it was more so the amount of people that came up to, like they knew who I was and I had no idea who they were. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these adults are like, oh, you're Pastor Tom's son. And it, you know, it, it was kind of weird and I, and I got used to it, but uh, all these people would come up and be interested in me and, and hearing about what's going on in my life. And, and, you know, at the time I just thought, man, these, these people are weird. Uh, when in reality, they, they just love Christ and they love people and they, you know, they wanted, wanted me to feel included and involved as well. But uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing is just the, the sheer number of people that would come up and talk to a kid. And when in reality, if, if you're outside the church, people aren't doing that. So so did your dad preach very often? No. Okay, so mostly worship-related things. Yeah, I mean, at a younger age, he was worship. As he, as he got older, like I mentioned, he lost his hearing, so he... Uh, then was like an associate pastor and then became a senior pastor. You said something really interesting and something that I have had tensions about and wrestled with really my entire life in some ways still today. But you said, oh, you're Pastor Tom's son. So when did you go from being Pastor Tom's son to being John? Uh, I, th I think pretty much when I became an adult. Um, and... I would say that's probably college years um, when I became a little more of my own person and I came and went as I wanted. Um, you know, I, I wasn't obligated to be at the church every waking hour that the door was un unlocked anymore. Uh, I made those decisions myself. And uh, I, I think it was probably around that time. It, it's, it was vague and I, I, they still knew that I was Pastor Tom's son, but they were a little more interested in me as the individual as mm -hmm. opposed to me as the pastor's kid. Did you, did you wrestle with that when you were in high school? Like wrestle with the fact that you were Pastor Tom's son and not John? I don't think so. Um, just because I, I was involved in so much that, <laughs> to be quite frank, especially in high school with like, I did three sports and you know, the summertime's crazy with sports in high school. And so I, I missed a lot of church things at that time. Um, which I'm not advising to do, but uh, <laughs> I missed a lot of church things at that time just because I was, you know, trying to make the team or trying to prove my worth. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, as, as Christians and as kids, athletes, you, you're always wrestling with those things because you want to you wanna be good and put out your best, but at the same time, you also need to make sure that you're still staying grounded. Yeah, so... You so it started a little bit earlier outside of the church realm, like you said, in school yeah. because you were playing sports. Um, and it's funny, so just culturally, this is one of those differences, you know, being from a different country that I've noticed now that I live here. And it's one of those things like culturally, you're so attached to your family name. And there's there's a lot of great things about that. This isn't a negative thing. But one of those things for me growing up was and still to this day, I'm thirty four years old. And still to this day, when I go home, in some circles, I'm still Pastor Breckle's son. Like, I'm still not, you know what I mean? Like, that's just that's just how that works. Yep. But I remember that. I remember um, 
wrestling with that. Like, no, yes, that's my dad. Yes, that yes, he's a pastor, and and I love him as my dad, and I love being attached to that. But I'm my own person, you know. Like, I'm I'm not Pastor Beckel's son. I'm Cedric, and here is who Cedric is. So, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, do you do you know? I mean, obviously, well, he can tell his own story, but. Do you remember seeing that from your brother at all? Him wrestling with being Pastor Tom's son versus who, you know, him as an individual? I think he, he might have a little more than me, uh, just being the firstborn. And and uh, <clears throat> he also is a lot more like my dad. I'm a lot lo- more like my mom. And so I think when it came to uh, some of those things, I mean, my my brother's scary smart too, and he, he knows a lot about scripture, so I... I think when he would get into those types of conversations, people would see my dad. And so, you know, that just kind of reinforces that I, your pastor, Tom's son. Right, right. So it, it, uh, I think it probably impacted him a bit more than it did me. Mm. Um, uh, you say your dad didn't preach very often, but do you have any memories of like recognizing or realizing that your dad is the guy on stage? What was that like? So you're going to laugh at this because it, it was way later on in life when we dedicated my son. Because um, my dad was a senior pastor at the time. And that was such a cool thing for me to be able to have my dad dedicate my son, mm-hmm. um, my firstborn son. Right. And um, it just it was a pretty special moment just because I, I feel like, you know, most people don't get the privilege of having that happen. And... You know, likewise, my dad got to baptize us when we were saved, and those are those are obviously monumental moments in the Christian walk uh, that most people wouldn't get to to have that type of close relationship with somebody doing those those acts. So it's interesting. So for you, it didn't really it didn't ground itself that hey, that's that person that's out there and doing this thing is also my dad. That that like light bulb moment i guess if you want to call it that that came much later much later much later that's interesting so what about as an adult what are some unique stories experiences that you have of being an adult man with you know married with a family um and not just married with a family but you're a christ follower and you work hard at being a christ follower i know that just because of our friendship um and i know that you care greatly about doing doing what God has called you to do um, vocationally as a husband, as a dad. Um, so how has that been now that you're an adult, but you're, you know, you're still the son of a pastor. So what, what is, what are some of the unique stories or things that have happened or taken place in that realm, being an adult, but having a, a, a dad that's a, that's a pastor. So I think really the biggest thing for me has just been uh, the opening of my eyes. I mean, you know, I think, I feel like there's a stigma when you're younger, or at least there was for me that I thought like, oh, this pa- this is Pastor Bob or Pastor Tom, Pastor Jeff. Like, they don't do anything wrong. They are like the poster child for what we are to be. And you know, as you get older, you're like, you know, these people struggle with sin just like, just like I do. And it, it really humanizes them a bit more and to realize that, look, just because they're uh, doing what God has called them to do in ministry, not everybody is called to that specific type of ministry, uh, but just because they're doing that doesn't mean that they're without sin or that they're 
any better than the rest of us. And I think that's probably been the biggest thing for me as an adult. That is just, it, not that it's lowered my expectation, um, but it's it's given me a more realistic and easier way to have a conversation with them about things because I know that they're wrestling with stuff just like I am. So, You mentioned a couple good things there. So you said, you said uh, expectation and then you realize it as an adult. But if you think back to being... Um, being younger, and maybe even maybe even now, you can link the two together. But did you ever feel there was a different level of expectation from church members on you compared to other kids because <laughs> of the position of your parents, or maybe even now as an adult? Uh, absolutely. So I I think there's also this thought out there that a lot of pastors' kids are like super rebellious. Oh yeah. Which yeah. you know is true in some circumstances. Uh, it, it wasn't really in mine. Um, or my brother, but that's probably because I was terrified of my mother. Um, but I, I think that we were held to a very high standard. We were expected to be in church regardless of whether you were sick or had a broken leg or were dying. You were still going to be in church. And that was good because it created good habits for us. Um, and then we also were expected to participate in everything. So like I mentioned, puppets clowns, singing, um, musicals, plays, whatever it was, um, we were expected to participate. And, and more often than not, we were given a very important role because they knew that we would basically have the influence to get the work done so that it would be done well. And that was exhausting. It was a lot of expectation and, and pressure for a kid. Um, but I think it also helped it was beneficial for me now that I'm looking back to see, you know, some of those things that I may have chosen not to do otherwise, but it forced me to get experience in, and they've served me well down the line now. Who was the expectation from, who was, where was the greater expectation from? Was it from your parents or from other people? Or, as an adult, do you think it was, do you think it was like this, this perceived expectation from other people of your parents, so your parents put it on you? Which do you think it was? Uh, I think it was a combination. So mm-hmm. I, I think, I know my parents expected a lot from me. But I also know that, you know, just like in class, you're, you're a student in a class and a, if a teacher asks a question and nobody raises their hand, nobody's going to answer. The teacher calls on the kid, they know they're, that's going to answer the question right. Right. And so it was that type of thing where, you know, if, if people weren't stepping up or they couldn't get enough people to do things... I was automatically volunteered. So that was the expectation of other people that I would get the job done. But I also knew that uh, the expectation was coming from my parents because, you know, we we were in ministry. We were expected to serve. And uh, like I said, it it was good and bad at the time. (laughs) Uh, But probably as I'm looking back on it now, it was a lot more good. Yeah. So one of the things that I understand now as an adult that I can see that it was it's impossible for me to see when I was a child <clears throat> is recognizing the difference between the expectation from my parents the expectation from the church world I'm just going to call it that and the expectation from church members so again culturally there's some differences so in the Bahamas culturally if you are a pastor's kid you are already kind of sectioned off into a different 
section of society, right? Like you, you, you use that example about being called on, which is so great because it isn't just in the church world. I mean, at school, everywhere. And you have to remember, I'm from a small, I mean, you're from a small community too, but culturally it's different. Like you, the, the, the degrees of separation is a lot different um, in, in the Caribbean culture than it is here in America. So, so growing up, you know, I would be in a classroom. I could be, as I got older, I could be hanging out with friends. It doesn't matter. There was always a direct line between me and the fact that my dad was the pastor. And so there was this expectation from other family members that, hey, you and your sisters had to be a certain way because your dad's the pastor. There's expectation from teachers. You have to be the certain way because your dad's the pastor. One of those expectations from a educational standpoint was you were expected to be smarter than everybody else or just or <laughs> as smart as the, the kid whose parents were accountants like you know what i mean like you that was the expectation I'm like wait what like how how did that happen um you had expectations from people at the church like you said to be involved in everything but one of the cool things i remember is my parents didn't have those expectations for us i remember my parents asking i remember my dad asking me hey do you want to be in the kids choir and I remember saying, uh, no, I don't want to be in the kids' choir because I think, you know, I, I always thought it was lame to wear dress shoes and white socks from that from then. Like, I thought that was, thought that was lame. I was like, you know what? The way they're dressed, is it really, I'm not down with all that. I'm not trying to, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I didn't tell him that at the time. But I remember being like, no, I don't want to do that. But I remember some other things we didn't have a choice. So, and... Again, I know this now as an adult, not as a, as a child. One of I think the the metric or the 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 guideline that my parents used was if this if this thing is going to greatly supplement or be foundational biblically, we had to do it. So we had to do Awana. We had to go to children's and youth ministry related things. We had to go to special guest speaker that was there for children. We had to do those things. But if it was something that wasn't necessarily foundational but more preferential like singing in a group or going to a special showing of a movie that just came out like my parents gave us that choice and i and i remember i appreciated that i appreciated that they didn't have the expectation as we got older that we had to do every single thing because that's what everybody else expected so it is a little unfair just just side note in college i think it was my junior year i took a statistics class um, and we had to write a paper and I wrote my paper on how statistically pastors children are not any worse than anybody else's kids. And so I was super excited to write that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I just think that's, that's interesting. You mentioned expectations. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so what, what advantages do you think you had now as an adult, right? We talked about some of the goals that you have as an adult. Christ following man. What are some of the advantages that you recognize you have now because of your upbringing? Uh, it's it's funny because Lori and I talk about this often. So we were raised in quite different churches. Um, you and her. My wife and I. Um, and it, it has been a point of frustration for her um, because there will be verses or stories or things of that nature that come up and I'm like, oh yeah, and I'll spout off either the rest of the story or quote the scripture. And she'll look at me like, how do you know that? When, when did you hear this? And honestly, it was when I was a kid. Like, you know, this, the Bible says, train a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he won't depart. And, 
And that I, I have experienced that in my life to where, you know, I, I put all these scriptures in at a young age. And so now as I'm older, they like come up and I'm not as good at remembering the reference all the time, which is, I know, something that you hit on quite a bit. Yep. But uh, but that's that's been an in- interesting thing and a, a very critical thing for me in my life just because I I know. I know the stories and I know the, the verses and, and they've allowed me to recall them uh, at points when I needed them. And I think that's probably been the biggest advantage for me, uh, just having having that to fall back on. The beauty of what you just said is that's not necessarily an advantage because you were a pastor's kid. That's an advantage because you grew up in a Christian home. Yep. And that's the thing that I think, you know, obviously you've heard me preach about this and you've heard other pastors talk about this. That's the thing that, that's the driving force behind why we encourage <clears throat> parents to raise their children in Christian homes because that foundation, you can't get away from that. It's so funny you mention that because my wife and I are the exact same way. We grew up in very different homes. Um, and we both grew up in, in, in Christian homes, like no doubt about it. Like they were both Christian homes, but just some of the emphasis emphases were different. And I think, you know, some of it obviously being a pastor's kid, like it's, it's just going to be, it's just going to be different. Like if you grew up as your, your dad's a pastor, I, I say this in preaching and I joke about it all the time. Like everything in our house was a lesson. Everything was a Bible lesson. And as a kid, it was really annoying. As an adult, I really appreciate it. You know, I mean, I literally mean everything. Every conversation was, was a Bible lesson, but her and I have had conversations like, like that, like, Hey, you know what? This is why we're going to raise our son in this type of environment because we want to make sure that when he gets older, you know, that he won't stray away from those things. And obviously my wife has that because she grew up in that environment. Your wife has it and, and both of us have it um, in slightly different ways. But that is that is an advantage. So honestly, you know, for those that are listening that are parents or you want to be parents, don't just think about, oh, you know what? Of course, of course that kid's that way because his, his kids, his dad's the pastor. Yes, that, that that's there's some aspects of that that's going to be true. But your home could be very much like the pastor's home in regards to to raising children with a with a solid foundation, and I'll, I'll say something to moms too. Just I mean, quite frankly, my mom did a lot of the spiritual raising in my family because my dad wasn't home all the time, mm-hmm. and so that's something that I think that that can't be overstated. Is that how how important it is for those parents, regardless of whether you're uh, spiritual leaders or not, how they're working in tandem to to create a spiritual and Christian home. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to point out because I hats off to my mom. If you've ever had a conversation with her, you can't talk more than two minutes without her quoting scripture. That is true. I have had multiple <laughs> conversations with your mother. I've also had one. This is really interesting. I knew your mom was like an OG mom. I think like the second time I talked to her because she summoned me. It was interesting. Like I was walking down the aisle at, in church and I was like, Hey everyone, hey everyone. And you know, I, I said hi to you and Lori and your mom gave me the come here look. And I was like, uh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, I, and she's like, I need to tell you something. And then, and like you said, it was something scriptural. She's, you know, she was telling me something about a sermon or something that she had heard me preach or I can't remember exactly what it was, but that's what I knew. I was like, ah, uh, yeah, I, I know this type of mom. I, I, I had one of these moms. She, she literally summoned me with just a look on her face. Like you come over here. I need to tell you something. And I, sure enough, I did it. <laughs> now you know why I was scared of her. I mean, she she was, especially as a young kid, she wasn't any more than, you know, five, seven, 125, 130 pounds tops. 
And I was terrified of that woman. Yeah. And it was because, like you said, I mean, she, she has this kind of altered personality that, that we call business Christie. Mm-hmm. It's when she needs to get something done, she puts on this face, and she is horrifying. Yeah. That's cool, though. It's cool to have that in in a mom and not just in a mom but in tandem like a lot of homes really don't have that you know normally one parent is is a lot more relaxed than one isn't i mean and that that has an advantage that has its advantages as well but it is cool to see that in moms so not like you've you've had time to think about it and when i say time i mean years to to think about it whether consciously or subconsciously but what we talked about advantages what were some of the most difficult things about being a pastor's kid uh, I, I think, again, as a kid, probably just some of the expectation. I mean, you know, it, being expected to be involved in everything, um, being expected to know everything, like you mentioned, like you were expected to be smarter than everybody. And, you know, I'd like to think of myself as an intelligent person, but there were times where I wasn't the smartest kid in the room. And, and because of the expectation that's put on you, that can be weighing for a, a seven eight nine ten year old you know to to fall short of what people are expecting you to do and so that was the thing that i think uh was probably most difficult was just learning to manage that disappointment and realize that it doesn't need to defeat me or define me but you know it, it is just part of life and you're gonna learn from it and get better and what um you had a you've had a you've had a front row seat to ministry mm-hmm. and church your entire life. Uh, so how have you seen the church change over the years? And how have you seen maybe even pastors change over the years? So this uh, is actually a little depressing uh, just because I, probably the biggest change that I've seen, which we've, it's it's just a result of society in general, <clears throat> but it's the focus from being on other people and outward to inward. So uh, I, I specifically remember as a young kid the number of like outreach ministries and uh, service ministries and people doing things for other people or people reaching out to other people that I knew my dad you know, was responsible for a lot of that stuff, but just the heart people had for others. And I feel like that has changed significantly today to where it's almost like pulling teeth to get people to, to serve or to help or to volunteer. And that's not the case in every church. I feel like our church does a pretty good job of trying to do that. But for the broader church, the broader Christian faith, I feel like that is just a big struggle because the focus has become inward. It's about me and how does this make my day or my life better how, and instead of how can I serve and show the love of Christ. And that's been the biggest disappointment for me I think in the change of the church Uh, and then as far as pastors are concerned I think pastors have had to adapt to that to you know you especially with uh, the people in in society today you want to be careful not to push them away but at the same time you also need to speak truth and life into them to to help them to come to these realizations themselves that it's not about me and uh, I, I I think about the one campaign that uh, we've done as a church, which has been mind-blowing to me. I mean, it's so simple. It's just a simple concept, and yet um, 
it has really changed my focus because I think it can be overwhelming when you're trying to, you know, save everybody. But when you pick one person to focus on and just love on that person and, you know, do what you can to share truth with them, uh, it, it really can have a much greater impact. Yeah, and just so for those that aren't familiar with what John is referencing, our church a few years ago, we we encouraged our members and followers to uh, instead of instead of having this this attitude of I'm going to tell everyone about Christ. Obviously, we know we want to tell as many people. But we say, you know, how about we just focus on one individual, one individual that we share the love of Christ with, that we love on, that we introduce to the gospel, and obviously. There's there's going to be times where it's more than literally just one person. But the 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 idea behind it was when we surveyed Christians, so many Christians had never told anyone about about God, like not told a single person. So we were like, okay, well, why don't we start with one person? How about you just tell one person? Which is mind blowing to even think that you have someone who has been saved when they get an understanding of what the saving what what salvation is that you don't tell anybody about it. I tell people like I use this analogy and it's literally like seeing someone drown drowning and you have a life preserver in your hand and you'd be like, you know, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not even gonna mess with throwing it out for him. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like you wouldn't do that. You would, if you see someone who was drowning, you'd be like, I have this life preserver in my hand. Of course I'm going to give it to them. So why wouldn't you tell anybody about it? So that's kind of what that the one campaign was about like let's start with one person and share the gospel and share the truth of who Christ is uh, with that person. Speaking from a non-pastor uh, perspective, I think there's probably fear in that an inadequacy, an inadequacy um, for Christians that aren't pastors that we are going to get asked a question that we don't know the answer to, or that we. You know, if we're holding that life preserver, we're not going to be able to throw it out far enough to them. <laughs> you know, it's only going to get halfway and then we're going to be like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> uh, and so I think that's probably something that people wrestle with. And, and the truth of the matter is, that's okay. Like, if you don't have an answer, it's okay to be like, you know what? I, I don't, don't have that answer, <laughs> but I know where to find it and I can get back to you. And I think that's probably what most people have wrestled with is that, um, especially again, today we're expected to to have an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never get into a conversation where you don't have the last word. Yeah. And so that's that's something that people struggle with that I think that this has allowed us to try to get over um, just by creating a relationship, by loving on people, and using it as a unique opportunity to share the love of Christ through natural conversation. One of the cool things I've learned is there's a great level of respect that people have for you when you say you don't know, when you don't try to pretend. I mean, like, even as a pastor, I mean, I get some really hard questions and some questions that I'm like, uh, I don't know. I might have to pull the soteriology book out because it's been a minute since I've done that. And that question is a real hard question. So I'm going to need two days. And how about we have coffee in two days and I'll have an answer for you. And, and their response is sometimes like, oh, wow, I asked the question that the pastor didn't know. Yeah, I don't know everything. But they also respected the fact that I said I didn't know and try to instead of trying to make something up and then came back to them with an with an answer, you know, showing them in scripture where, you know, what the answer to their question. So if you, you know, if you fall in that category, which we all do in some shape or form, like John mentioned, 
Don't feel like you can't say, I don't know. Just say, I don't know. And But I'll find out. I'll go get the answer. And I'm willing to sit down and work through it and talk to you about it. You you mentioned that the, one of the changes is from being so outward to inward. What were some of the outward service-related things that you remember doing or seeing uh, when you were younger or, you know, back in the day, if you want to call it that, that is different than today in reference to the church? What are some of those things? So I remember <clears throat> specifically a ministry that um, that every week uh, a group of people would make meals just like box lunches or bag lunches and take them to Cleveland and give them to homeless people every week. Hmm. And quite frankly, like I did that, you know, more than a handful of times. And it was so life-giving to me, which I know that we don't do these things to, you know, to gain for ourselves, but you do. And it was so life-giving to me. Um, and just change your perspective on who these people were. And, you know, I think there's a, a stigma with homeless people, you know, why they're homeless. And, you know, maybe 25% of the time you're correct, but the other 75% of the time you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know what they've gone through and, and that they're a great person and that they're smart and, and uh, well-spoken and have great manner. You know what? And it's, it, I is uh, something that really kind of opened my eyes to just the world in general. Um, but I don't, th we don't see that anymore. I mean, you, you do with some bigger organizations that are, you know, I, I know there's uh, no child goes hungry and right. different things like that that are doing this on a broader scale. Um, but as a as individual churches, I, we don't see that. I mean, people are too busy. People mm -hmm. have too much going on in their lives to set aside a Saturday every Saturday to go and do something like this. I uh, I don't think I consciously thought about it until you just said it, but I remember as um. Almost as a young child, but you know, maybe between ten and fifteen, the same thing. I mean, like you said, I like your emphasis on every week because we had a similar thing as well. Every week we would do some kind of outreach project. I mean, I remember everything from helping people clean up their yards to one of the big things was beach cleanup. I mean, like being from the Bahamas, our beaches are our pride and joy. And I remember churches would partner with local government officials and we we told them we would clean the beaches up and i remember being like you know 13 14 15 you would go with the youth group or the middle school group or whatever and yes part of the time i went because you know the girls were there that i was interested in but but but, but i remember like as a i remember churches would say that we would say to local officials like no you know what we'll we'll do it we'll go and we'll clean the beaches up we'll pick up all the trash we'll We'll clean the we'll we'll clean everything. Uh, I remember doing that often, and I remember, like you talked about, handing out food or doing things for hurricane relief. It's it's funny because not funny, but just interesting an interesting memory. But a lot of the non. Most of the time, that we spent at the church in the church building or even around church people, wasn't in reference to a Sunday service. It was going to do something. And I remember, you know, as a child being like, we're going to do this again. We're going back again. But it's interesting that today we actually don't have a whole lot of that. Um, there's, there's one or two times, mostly around Christmas time, my wife and I, we've taken it upon ourselves 
to take our son to to do that kind of thing like hey you know what we're we're not getting anything we're giving something this time we're, we're gonna go do this and this is who we're gonna go do this for we're gonna go visit people we're gonna go visit shut-ins or whatever um but even that even in my example that's still isolated to a very specific time it's not something that we do very often and like you said that is a little depressing and that is a big change that we become more inward focused as opposed to outward focused um and yeah that's that that's a difficult thing and like you said you've seen it straight across um society not just in reference to the church um what are there's some things that people just don't know about people who grew up in strong christian homes and specifically for those that grew up in a home where the dad was the pastor. So, and I know you touched on this a little bit, but what are some of the pressures? And you used that word earlier. You said the pressure. What are some specific pressures that were on you or on your family because you were directly involved in ministry and maybe even in a broader spectrum? What are some of the pressures that you've seen that that exist for those types of families that people just have no idea about? And not, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about people who don't, go to church or who aren't Christians. I'm talking about even Christians, people inside the church. What are some of the pressures that you've had or still have that people have no idea about because your dad's a pastor or because you've you know, been involved in full-time ministry? Um, <clears throat> I think one of them was, especially as a kid, and the church that my dad was a pastor at was pretty big at the time. Um, and I was, I had to be, <laughs> on my best behavior at all times, regardless of where I was at. Regardless. Because there's a good chance that wherever I was at, somebody from church was there. Absolutely. And so I, I had to be on my best behavior. And man, when I wasn't, oh boy, you know, business Christy came out. <laughs> and I would get this these nails in my arm with her hand around my arm, or I'd get the look. And I'd know that it was trouble when I got home. And I, I think, you know, as a kid, we're mischievous. And we, you know, we, we got creative minds and we want to, you know, just be ornery or whatever it is. And, and uh, I think that was probably something that was just like, I could see where some pastor's kids would go and rebel. Yeah. Because, because you just don't want to handle and and dance with this pressure anymore you don't yeah. want to handle with it, this expectation that you've got to be on your best behavior at all times so you're like you know what i'm just gonna go do what i want and i and i've seen that firsthand seen some pastors kids do that and uh, luckily that that wasn't the way that it worked out for me i you know had a holy terror uh fear of my mother and god <laughs> and so i you know it, it ended up okay but I mean, that's something that, un unless you're a pastor's kid, I don't think you think about otherwise. You yeah. don't think about, eh, I'm at Walmart. You know, there might be somebody from church here. Well, I, I was, ex I had to think about that because I knew what was happening if I wasn't on my best behavior. Yeah, it, it's um, it's crazy. I, I really, I I have such vivid memories of that of of being everywhere, literally everywhere, and someone would recognize you. And like you said earlier, they would know you, but you wouldn't know them. Yep. And depending on the size of the church, I mean, that happens today. I mean, today I'm out and about 
and someone sees me and they're like, you're the guy from the TV. And I was like, I've never been on TV and I forget that we actually put our services on TV. So I actually am the guy on TV, but I don't, I don't remember that, you know? Or, you know, I remember, the, like you said, I was out, this was a couple years ago and this kid came up to me and I actually didn't even come up to me. He was looking at me funny and I was a kid. So I was like, okay, whatever. you know, maybe it's my hat, whatever. But then the kids started pointing and then the mom was like, he recognized you because we watched the service on on MCTV at night, and I was like, oh, wow, I, you know, so that, just that, that thought of someone always knows who you are, and it's not that we're trying to hide anything, or it's not that we're trying to be two-faced or be someone different on stage than we are off stage, it's not that, but it's just, I just think that those are, like you said, those are things that people just don't, if you're not in that position, you don't think about, you're not consciously walking around with the thought that somebody probably knows who I am. It's kind of like that mindset when, you know, you're driving, and there's a cop following you, even though you know you're not breaking the law, but you're nervous. And you're you're more prone to make a mistake because you're nervous that that cop is following you than you actually consciously breaking the law. And I feel like it's the same type of mindset. It's just, you know, you're, <laughs> you're just nervous that you're going to do something that's going to offend somebody when you have no idea what you even did that was wrong. Such a great analogy. That is, that's spot on. I mean, I, I've had that before, too. I've had... Early on, and I I will admit, part of this was my fault because uh, just my personality type, I had to learn to be more outwardly jovial and outwardly expressive when I greet people just because that's just not, that's just not who I am naturally. And I remember there was a couple of times when I got pulled into the office, you know, by, by a lead pastor and was like, hey, so-and-so said you were really rude to them. And I was like, when? Well, they saw you guys having dinner and you didn't even say anything. And I was like, who? It was so-and-so. I don't even know who that person is. This person waved at me and I waved back like I would anyone being nice. Well, you didn't even get up and go talk to them. I didn't know who they were. They've been going to our church for a long time. Didn't know that. So, so, so it's, just, it's just those types of things that you just don't think about. You don't realize. And then as, you, as those become more conscious thoughts, it's kind of scary. And I love that analogy. You're like, yep, the cops say, I know I'm not doing anything wrong. But I'm so nervous that I'm probably going to go left to center. Or I'm probably going to gun it or whatever it is. Like, just because you're nervous, because you're being watched. It sounds like you need to get on Britney Swift's level and study the church directory. Yeah, no one is ever going to be on her level. Uh, <laughs> Britney Swift is our our first lady. She hates that term, but um, that's the term we use for her. And she knows everyone, and that's a gift. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever have that. I don't know if I'll ever have that gift. When, when she told me that she studies the church directory, my mind was blown. Dude, she's serious about that. My mind was blown. She knows everyone's name. That's cool. That's, hey, that's just, that's a trait. It's a gift that she has that that uh, I don't have. Um, so as we, as we get ready to wrap this up, what are some of the things that you have leaned into because of your upbringing and what are some of the things that you've kind of leaned away from? You use the example about, you know, being on your best behavior and like having that look from your mom and, you know, that like things like that. Have you leaned more into that as a parent or have you leaned away from it? Like what are some of the things that you saw, you know, and I know we have to be careful about how we talk about it, but what are some of the things maybe that you've seen even attitudes or or dispositions from your dad that you were like, okay, I saw this and I saw how he was with my mom. I'm going to lean into that. Like, yes, I want to duplicate that. And then there are some things that, you know, you know, that's, I don't, I don't have the same personality as him. So I'm going to lean away from that. I have those, but what are some of the things that you have? Uh, I think the, 
probably the biggest one for me is that as a man, as a husband, as a spiritual leader of my home, my first priority is my family. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I don't necessarily think I felt as a kid just because my dad was gone a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's what he was called to do. He was called to lead these ministries and things like that. But um, you mentioned like you you felt like you always got the best of your dad. And I didn't always feel that way just because whether it was me setting re- unrealistic expectations or what. Um, but that was that's something that I've really tried to do um, and make a point to give my best to my family, mm-hmm. to make sure that not just we or my wife, but I pray with my kids, that I read the Bible to them when I have an opportunity because that's what I've been called to do. I've been called to be the spiritual leader, that I don't have an unrighteous anger, <laughs> um, which... If any of you have kids, you That's know, can be very easy that. to to <laughs> fall away from. Um, but that's a big one. And then, honestly, I think the other thing is that that I've tried to lean into is that God God wants us to have fun. I mean, mm. He loves when we're joyful, and that could be you know any number of different ways. But I, I remember as a kid. You know, some of the benefits of being a pastor's kid, We, like I said, we were at church all the time. Half the time, there was nobody else there. So my brother and I, across this huge sanctuary, we're throwing a football. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I, I don't think God was looking down on us and saying, shame on you for doing that. No. He was, he was glad that we're in his house, having a good time, uh, creating good memories there. I mean, the and, old lady that sat in the third row all the way to the left, if she knew you and your brother were doing that, she may have had a problem with that. Yeah, she may have shaken her cane at me. But but, uh, but it was all good for everybody yeah, else. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there. so that's something that, you know, I, I think people that don't know the Christian faith, they, you know, think of Christianity as just having all these rules and this God that just doesn't want you to have fun. And that's not true at all. I mean, mm. God loves us. He, he wants us to be filled with joy. And to enjoy life the way that he intended it to be enjoyed. And that's something else that I've tried to lean into. Just, you know, to enjoy the the things that he's created and given to us. Uh, and, and not feel like I'm uh, saddled by these rules, but, but by uh, guidelines for me to live. Yeah. So similar to what you said, one of the things that... There's a number of things, but... Um, there's, there's a few, I, I call them, they're just like a giant umbrella, so there's a lot of things that fall under them. The number one thing, and if you've ever heard me preach or speak or talk about parenting or talk about my upbringing, you've heard this before, and it is the word fairness. My parents were almost always fair. And I mean that from a biblical perspective. I don't mean that in a kid perspective. Like, that's not fair. You know, like, I, me- I remember there was a time where I got 25 bucks an allowance and my sisters didn't get that. They got something else. But my parents explained it to us from from a place of fairness that I've proven my level of responsibility that I can handle this amount of money, and you haven't proven that yet. So in that context, in this biblical lesson, that's fair, you know. So my parents were all almost always fair. I mean, they were fair in how they approached us, how they loved us, how they disciplined us, how they explained things to us, uh, explained things to us, what they allowed us to do and what they didn't allow us to do. I don't I don't have any memories of being like. This is so unfair. My parents are unfair. I can't believe they would do this. I have memories of like not liking some of the decisions they made. I, I never liked getting whooped. I never liked being grounded. But I couldn't say that it wasn't unfair. So that's the first thing. And then 
Um, secondly, it would be the way that my parents were with each other. Dude, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't be too explicit because it could get weird real fast, but my, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the love and connection that was shared between my mother and father was just unbelievable. I, I, I still to this day, maybe outside of myself because I'm really working hard to duplicate that, but I've never seen anybody more in love with each other than my parents. My dad was so in love with my mother that it was, he made it, he made it very clear. Like this woman's it for me. Like she's, she's the dopest thing on the planet. So don't even, let's don't, don't get it twisted. She is it for me. So, and my mom was the same way. I mean, she said it all the time. She even said it to us like, Hey, I love you kids, but your dad's better. <laughs> so, you know, so, so those are the things that I, I lean into the most. And obviously there's a lot of things that fall under both of those things biblical truth and foundational teaching that allowed my parents to be fair, that allowed them to be loving, that allowed them to show the love of Christ. So those would be the two things. It's funny you talk about fairness because I <laughs> I specifically remember me telling my parents that they were unfair about what their rule was for me in dating. And that was that I wasn't allowed to, to have a girlfriend until I was 16, until I could drive. Right. And... At the time, I thought that was incredibly unfair. I mean, you talk about going to all these church functions and things. Let's be real. We didn't go to any of those things if there wasn't a cutie no. up in there. And there was always somebody. So, I mean, there was always somebody we had our eye on. And, uh, you know, that'd make our parents proud because they were in church too. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I remember my friends telling me that uh, that they felt so bad for me, that, that they felt sorry for me because I wasn't allowed to go on dates and stuff like this. And, now looking back, talk about leaning into it. I'm like, man, my kid, I don't think they're gonna go on dates till they're in college, <laughs> because I I know that uh, that I'm not being serious, but but maybe, um, but I I know that at the time I wasn't ready for it, right. and, and my parents protected me from myself, and you know I I may have worked a way around it once or twice, but that got found out real fast, and and. Uh, so now I know what to look for when my kids get to that age. Yeah, well, I mean, you you had one of the best to learn from, Christy. Uh, she wasn't messing around. I'm no, sure she, no. she knew all the tricks. It is so funny you talked about this because my wife and I literally talked about this a few nights ago. We were talking about how we're gonna navigate that with our son, and I told her I was like, "Look, I I know all the tricks." And I'm gonna try my best to stay ahead of them. I'm not gonna be one of those dads that's like, ah, I'm old and I I don't really got time to keep up with it. I'm keeping up with it. I'm gonna know exactly what the deal is. I'm gonna know what every app is, every backdoor to every app is, every you know, like those are things that our parents didn't have to do. Um, but I I wanna stay ahead of that. So yeah, that's cool. All right, well I mean I think this is really good. It's good to have that that perspective on what life was like for you as a child and as an adult, you know, having a parent, a dad who's a, who is in full time ministry, um, and then how you know, just as men, we could try and duplicate those things. Um, there are things that, you know, that our parents have done that we recognize wasn't the best. So we, we learn from them and we say, you know, we're not going to duplicate those things. But there's way more things that they've done that is that was great. That was following um, foundational scripture that we can lean into and, and duplicate. So I appreciate you being here. I appreciate the time. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and to download the episodes 
to our podcast. This is How Did I Get Here? And thanks for being with us. Until next time. <laughs>